Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. America, bonjour, hi, Canada. Good morning to you from studio wherever. I'm Hugh Hewitt bringing you the Hillsdale Dialogue, as that music means the Hillsdale Dialogue is here, the last radio hour of the week. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. We have got Dr. Arn off doing things this week and next, and so we're kind of happy about that because we get to talk to Dr. Ken Calvert and Kyle Mernon, and uh, we're pleased not to be talking to Larry Arn for a couple of weeks. Please tell him that. But uh, Dr. Calvert and Kyle are deeply involved in the video series, and we're going to be doing two. This week, we're going to give you an overview and a prompt to go and enjoy the video series, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Republic, which came out last year, and then uh, prepare you next week for Ancient Christianity, which comes out, I believe, in May. Uh, we'll start there, and I'll start with you, Dr. Ken Calvert. Isn't it wonderful not to have Dr. Arn around to, you know, say everything and take all of our good lines? <laughs> I think I'll stay quiet on that one, Hugh. <laughs> well, well, Kyle, can I get you to get into that water and say what a joy it is, or are you going to dodge that bullet, too? <laughs> no, it's a terrible thing. I, I might actually have to talk on this one, and I was hoping to avoid that. So, uh. <laughs> Kyle, I want you to start, before we dive into the, the first hour here, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic. How is the video courses offerings at Hillsdale doing? The number of people who engage the explosion of opportunity that's presented and who ought to go to hillsdale.edu to investigate them? No, thank you, Hugh. It's um, it's a fun program. Dr. Arn actually came up with the idea 11 years ago. So it's our 11th year uh, teaching these free courses, about as long as we've been doing uh, the Hillsdale Dialogues. Um, and the idea was to, to get our core curriculum, the, the core teaching of Hillsdale, up and available in some fo- in some form uh, to the American public and, and teach these things. We have 37 free courses available for people now at online.hillsdale.edu. Um, our most popular is Constitution 101, but we have courses on the Roman Republic, the Genesis story, Dante's Divine Comedy, Aristotle's Ethics. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of fun uh, to work on all of these things. And uh, since the beginning of the program, we've had about 3.3 million people wow. sign up for the course, which has been re- now, really exciting. Now, Dr. Calvert, when they approach you and they say, you know, Ken, we really would like you to do a, a course on the rise and fall of the Roman Republic. What's the immediate reaction? I'm very enthusiastic about this because I'm a Roman Republic guy. But, you know, you teach it every year and, and all of a sudden you've got to compress it into however many hours that you get or how many. What's your initial reaction when the approach comes? Well, it is it is a challenge, definitely, uh, to pack it into just a few lectures. But uh, my my immediate reaction was, of course, yes, uh, we we love doing this at Hillsdale. We've got great students, and it's a great joy to be able to do this with our undergrads. But I have to tell you that to share this with our wider Hillsdale audience is is as much a joy as to teaching it here on campus. So um, it was a great deal of fun to do it. Kyle does a great job of organizing the whole thing. And, yeah, packing it into just a few lectures, That's that just gives our audience a taste but what we hope is that they will follow up and do some of their own research and reading and really come to understand why the Republic was so important for Western history, but in particular for our founders, 
why they studied it so closely. So let's begin there, Dr. Calvert, with a summary. We had about eight minutes in our first segment. And so it's sort of a sweeping summary of a summary of a course. Why the study of the ancient Roman Republic, and I want you to distinguish it from the Roman Empire so that our Pittsburgh Steeler fans understand the difference. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, the Republic uh, founded in 509 and really established as a balance of powers between the Senate uh, the, the general citizenry and the magistrates that they elected. And by the way, the magistrates had limited power and were in office for only a year. So there, there is an opportunity for this, this government to have balances of power throughout, um, keeping uh, one faction or another, at least this was the ideal, uh, from gaining power. And uh, Hugh, you know, when you look at the history of Rome. Uh, it's a small little city-state in the middle of Italy. It should not have become a world power, and it did. It came to conquer the entire uh, Mediterranean. In fact, by the time the emperors arose, Caesar Augustus arose, uh, the Roman Republic had already conquered the vast majority of, of the Mediterranean. And how did they do it? Well, these are free men, uh, citizens uh, with uh, their own incentives and able really to not only fight against those who would destroy them, uh, but also help others uh, participate in a free society, in a free republic. Um, unfortunately, they became so successful, uh, conquered Greece, conquered so much of the Mediterranean, that they were unable to fight the greed and the avarice and the desire for power that is so much a part of human nature. Um, and in the end, uh, one has to argue that their own great success as a free people, uh, unguarded um, and losing sight of their convictions, they ultimately lost the republic. Now, Dr. Calvert, I often tell people that if they don't read Plutarch and they're not interested in Tacitus and they don't want to read Wikipedia, pick up the seven novels by Colleen McCullough. And if yep. you can get through half of the first one, you'll read all seven, because, of course, that's not history. It's historical fiction, but it draws you in and it's sort of a, a step up. And then you can go to Plutarch and go to Tacitus. How deeply engaged are undergraduates in the study of the ancient Roman Republic? Well, it's, it's remarkable here at, at Hillsdale College, of course, we get a large number of students who have already been classically trained in great charter schools and in great private schools and great homeschooling. Uh, so there is, there is a real, a very real renaissance across our country in classical education. And so when we get them, I would say over half, you know, 60% at least, have a, a good understanding of what we're going to go through. And then the other others have to catch up a little bit. But honestly, we have a crew here that are really prepared, ready intellectually, spiritually to take on what we have to have to throw at them. And um, we, we are able to dive deeply into the great texts, into Plutarch, into Tacitus, into Polybius, of course, all in translation, but then we also have a great classics department here that will take them into the Greek and Latin as well, one of the best classics departments in the country. If you want to see a real renaissance of classical training in America, you know, come to Hillsdale and look at all the schools we're assisting across the country. I 
I honestly, I'm not pessimistic at all about the future of our country because in, in, in great measure of what we're doing here. Oh, boy, two days ago, and indeed in the first two hours before today's program, I was talking with Peter Thiel, and he and I are very, very pessimistic about the rise of artificial intelligence. Kyle Mernon, you and I are both kind of consumers of teaching and reading about ancient Rome. When did you get the bug for the ancient Roman Republic? Well, you know, I, I would say I got the bug from, from being an undergrad at Hillsdale College and, and going through the whole process that, that Dr. Calvert's talking about. I didn't come from a classical school, so my introduction was through Western Heritage with, with the history faculty here, right? And you start reading, you know, Pericles' funeral oration. You start reading Cicero, um, and you read about these great men in the, in the Greek and the ancient Greek and Roman world, um, and you can't help but want to learn more. I would say... Plutarch is probably my favorite thing. Reading the lives of Plutarch is, is my favorite thing. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons we went to Dr. Calvert and asked him if he could, you know, produce this course for us. You know, the two things I tell my con law students is that George Washington's favorite play with Cato and that Alexander Hamilton copied out Plutarch at the winter of Valley Forge as his way of getting through it, Dr. Calvert. Is that featured in your course at all, either of those data points? Yeah, at, 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 towards the very end, we do comments on the founders and their use of um, the Roman Republic as a model. And, and you named, uh, you know, Cato the Younger there as a very, very important model. You know, Cato uh, died rather than surrender to Julius Caesar. And Cato the Younger died for the Roman Republic. And, you know, we, we, we think, you know, we'll have students who'll say, well, you know, are we really looking at these guys who died for this? I say, yeah, the, the, the Declaration of Independence, every man who signed that piece of paper, that, that glorious piece of paper, uh, was signing a death warrant. Um, if, they, if they lost that war, all of those men would have been hanging from trees. Yep. So um, we're looking at people with high, high conviction, great virtue, desire to do what is right and true and good and beautiful. Um, and and where are Washington and Hamilton and these guys drawing it from? They're drawing it from uh, the Roman Republic. So we do talk about that in um, in the final lecture or two of our uh, of our program. When we come back from our first break, we're going to give you the rough chronology because you're going to get from 500 B.C. up to the uh, assassination of Caesar. And I just want Dr. Calvert to kind of lay out some milestones for us in our five-minute segment. Don't go anywhere. The book of Exodus is one of the central narratives of the Bible. It recounts the moment when God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt and gives them the Ten Commandments to guide their moral and religious freedom. But how well do you actually know the story? In Hillsdale College's new, free, online course, The Exodus Story, you'll learn the spiritual significance of the Old Testament's most epic book. In The Exodus Story, Hillsdale College professor of English Justin Jackson picks up the biblical narrative where his course on Genesis ended. Join Dr. Jackson in learning about the nature of God's mercy, human freedom, and the relationship between the divine and man. Discover the beauty of God reclaiming the Israelites through his mercy and love in The Exodus Story. To enroll today and secure your spot in this completely free online course, visit hillsdale.edu slash newcourse. That's N-E-W-C-O-U-R-S-E, hillsdale.edu slash newcourse. 
America. Hugh Hewitt, the Hillsdale Dialogue is underway with Dr. Ken Calvert, professor at Hillsdale College, I think since 1996, Kyle Mernon, who's a Ph.D. student there, and, and that doctorate will be arriving soon, I hope, uh, uh, and I can call you Dr. Kyle. Uh, Ken Calvert, talk to me a little bit, if you can, about when Rome arrives in 509 B.C. as a republic. It's not writing on a blank slate. There's a lot that's there before them. What's surrounding them in the geopolitics of 509 B.C.? Right. So they have all kinds of neighbors. Uh, The Etruscans are still there to the north. The Gauls further north, who are the great barbarians of the region, and the Romans actually are are rather fearful of the Gauls. Uh, In the south, there are a number of Greek city-states. We often don't picture southern Italy and eastern Sicily as part of Greece, but um, the Romans called it Magna Graecia, or Greater Greece, uh, very much dominated by Greek culture. But the major power in the Mediterranean, at least in the western Mediterranean, was Carthage. Uh, Carthage was part of the Phoenician world and founded by the city of Tyre, a Phoenician uh, city-state. Carthage commanded um, western Sicily, southern Sardinia, and northern Africa. And if you look at your map, you see what they have done is is control come to control all of the traffic all of the the, the trade through the central mediterranean so carthage really if if you were going to say who's going to create the the great empire in the region it's going to be carthage but um the romans uh through a series of very successful campaigns expand on the italian peninsula um they fight against a a greek mercenary named pyrrhus who defeats them in, in major battles, but every battle that they fight, uh, they, they make Pyrrhus pay for each victory, and you have this word Pyrrhic, this term Pyrrhic victory emerge out of that. So Pyrrhus has to retreat because he's, he's won every battle, but he's lost too many men. And ultimately, the Romans come into contact with the Carthaginians in three wars, the three Punic Wars, uh, which which uh, lasts from 264 to 146 BC, and in those three wars, uh, the Romans remarkably uh, are able to defeat the Carthaginians, including in the Second Punic War, an invasion from Hannibal, this great general who uh, defeats Rome in in every land battle except the last one at Zama. Uh, Hannibal is is a, a, a vicious competitor, and the Romans should have lost that war, but they hang on, and they hang on, and they are intrepid. Oh, I'm going to but, defeat Dr. Arn using Fabian tactics. That's okay. my long-term plan, is to defeat him <laughs> by using Fabian tactics. There you go. There you go. And, and Fabius is uh, the delayer, we call him, yes. uh, or he was called. Uh, he was brilliant at cutting off uh, Hannibal's supply lines, which is what weakened him ultimately. But um, when we look at the Punic Wars, also at that time, they're fighting five wars against the Greeks, and they conquer the Aegean region. How do they do it? They do it, as I said before, with this great focus on Republican citizenship. These men are highly motivated. The problem, then, is how to deal with their success, because once they have conquered this world uh, by 146, um, 
the the problems of a republic which believes in you know the freedom of citizenry and the liberty of citizenry how are they going to control and govern over people who some of them don't want to be uh, under the Roman rule, don't want to be in the Roman Republic. So it's their own success is actually what ultimately destroys the Republic. Well, let me ask you back to 509 B.C., if we can get in yeah. Mr. Peabody's time machine. And sure. Ken Calvert can go to any place on the planet in 510 B.C. Where do you choose to go to see firsthand what is happening? In 510 B.C., I would say the best place to be at that point is actually Athens. Mm-hmm. And to look at Athenian democracy, the Romans actually sent three men to study Athenian democracy as they were establishing the Republic. And you learn some lessons from both of these free societies. And that is that uh, the Athenians had great success in destroying, or excuse me, defeating the Persian Empire. They would destroy it under uh, under Alexander later on. But in 510, um, Cleisthenes is establishing or beginning to establish uh, Athenian democracy. And um, you find there, too, that the, the Athenians, uh, having led the Greeks against the Persians, uh, are unable to handle their own victory. And as a free society, the Athenians also create an empire which in the Peloponnesian Wars um, brings Athens to their knees against Sparta. Uh, so there are, there are many great um, aspects to these cautionary tales of Athens and Rome that our founders paid very close A- attention. Absolutely. The, the, the rise and fall of empires is everywhere and always a, a crucial thing for people to understand. We're going to come back and talk about the essential cleavage in Roman society, patricians versus plebeians, Arns versus Hewitts, that's what I call it. And when we come back, Dr. Calvert will walk us through. It's a division that recurs and recurs again, and the challenges of the late Roman Republic, which has most of us fixated, if we have anything in our mind, it's that. Don't go anywhere, America. I'm coming right back with more of the Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Calvert, Kyle Mernon. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Dr. Ken Calvert teaches at Hillsdale College. Kyle Mernon teaches at Hillsdale College, learns at Hillsdale College, and produces the video courses, all of which are available at hillsdale.edu. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues, which I've been doing for years and years and years, are found at hughforhillsdale.com. And if you simply put iTunes, Hillsdale Dialogues, they will all pop up in reverse order. So today's will be the most recent. Um, Dr. Calvert, I, w- I want to go. You mentioned the Punic Wars, and I'm going to kind of skip over them. They're a subset. Okay. I want to get to the beginning of the Roman Revolution, which I think really begins with the Gracchi, does it not? And the right. division between the patricians and the plebeians. And we have the most time here. So you get you get to take the stage and explain the patricians and the plebeians and who the Gracchi are and how they lead to everything. Right. So in, in Rome, you have uh, the patricians or the fathers, and they are predominantly in the Senate. They dominate the Senate, although plebeians have been allowed into the Senate as well. There is, after uh, the Punic Wars, a real tension over how to deal with this victory. The Gracchi, uh, Tiberius and Gaius Gracchus, 
in the 130s and 120s attempt to bring about uh, some answers uh, to getting land back into the hands of the plebeians of the lower classes um, and limiting the power of the Senate and the patricians. This ends up in um, some real mob activity, uh, 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 people, you know, uh, violence, political violence in Rome. And so you have, uh, in, in, in the midst of their own victory, a, a dissolving of their unity. Uh, a breaking apart of their unity as as a state, um, and and this really begins the end uh, into into the late republic is the beginning of the end of um, of the of the Roman Republic. Do you see? I, I hate facile comparisons, but the division between patrician and plebeian many people see in American politics today between progressives and center-right conservatives. Do you think that's a fair analogy? Yeah, I think it's always, you're always dangerous kind of wading into that kind of thing. But there's, there is a, a certain parallel here. When you have an elite class who believes that they have some sort of right uh, to, to govern and to rule over you, and the rest of these plebeians are, are kind of ignorant and unable to really understand things. Uh, a, a, a downplaying of, of the intelligence and the learning of those who, um, you know, are, are, are beneath them. So that kind of approach is, is definitely there in, uh, in, in the Roman Republic and is part of its demise. And I think you can identify that uh, clearly in our society, this, this, this arrogance of an elite class um, and, you know, dominated by progressivism. Decidedly. Now, Kyle, you're the youngest guy on the conversation today. And, and I asked Peter Thiel this uh, on Wednesday, and I think we played it this morning or it might have been yesterday. I can't recall if he's an optimist or a pessimist. And on my bad days, I think a Sula will arise or a Marius will arise, not a Caesar, but people who will who will try and tear the republic apart. Do you worry about that? Um, sure, we sure we worry about that, right? Um, but but I kind of I'm in the I'm in the Dr. Calvert camp of optimism. I think if you're in the education game, you end up being in that, right? You, you see you see all the pitfalls, you see all the potential threats, um, but you also recognize um, w- what a great message of liberty this country has. Um, you, you realize that people gravitate towards towards the good um, and, and, and towards the, the great stories of our history and, and that we want, we want solutions to avoid that. So I, I, I live in the optimistic camp. Now, now, Dr. Calvert, my favorite line from ancient Rome is actually the inscription on Sulla's tomb. No friend has done me a favor nor enemy an injury that I have not repaid in full. I always point out to people that's not particularly Christian. We're going to cover ancient Christianity thereafter. They have to kind of repeal the inscription on Sulla. But tell us about Marius and Sulla and Caesar and how the three of them fit together. Right. So you have here the rise of these uh, what I call dynasts or tyrants, uh, these great personalities. It's important to remember that honor um, is, is personal honor is a very, very big part of, uh, of, of the Roman world, uh, rising up politically and, and becoming a, a major political player is very much a part of the generation or two at the end of the Republic. So Marius and Sulla um, are proud, arrogant. Uh, they both believe that they have answers for the problems of the Republic. 
and if only the republic would bow to them, uh, the thing would be solved. And they began uh, and as allies, didn't they? They did. They did, yes, uh, in the war against Jugurtha. Uh, but but um, Marius was a populare. He was one of the people, quote unquote, um, and and Sulla was an optimate, one of the one of the elites. But what happens here is those divisions between optimate and populare, or patrician and plebeian, that begins to fade uh, and become very very vague. And so these guys really are leaving behind many of their Roman convictions, many of their political convictions, and just simply out for their own gain. And this spills over into Julius Caesar and his friends, Pompey and Crassus. Um, many, many times they have good ideas and are, are looking after the good of Rome, but more often than not, these guys are just simply about um, uh, creating uh, great power and uh, political influence for themselves. And, and you know, Caesar that's... marries off his daughter to Pompey, right? right. It's, right. it's like 200 people run Rome at a period of time. <laughs> that's so true, yeah. Yeah, and, and what happens with Marius and Sulla is between in their fighting, they actually end up um, executing something like 100,000 fellow citizens in Rome, many of them senators. And you begin to have another problem, which is the destruction of these old senatorial families and heads of families. And the new guys who were brought in by Marius and Sulla, um, they are not people who understand the, the the constitution of Rome, and when I say that, I don't mean that it's a document, but there's a tradition that's passed down, um, what they call the Mos Maiorum, the tradition of the elders. And once you start getting massive uh, assassinations and executions and mob actions against uh, the leadership, um, you begin to lose so much. And am I right, Professor, that down. everyone takes one step at a time? I mean, they escalate one step at a time. Maybe they don't go. They're the they're the council who doesn't show up for a year, or they are the triumvirs who decide that they're going to split up the, uh, uh, the the provinces in a certain way. But they break down the most myorum bit by bit. And I I like to point to the repeal of the filibuster as a step in that direction. And that to to uh, they're just escalations on both sides, reciprocal, tit for tat. Do you see that in our politics? Absolutely. I, I think that you see uh, these grad, this gradual movement towards the weakening of family, towards the weakening of confidence in our history, uh, confidence in our Constitution, bit by bit by bit, you know, drop by drop, um, you have this this movement towards weakening uh, who we are as in our resolve as Americans. And uh, decidedly, uh, you see that as well in, in the Roman world. It may, may not have been as planned or programmatic among the Romans, but when you, when you jump from Marius to Sulla to Caesar and Pompey and Crassus, you see that exactly the same thing is happening. And and finally, Caesar, you know, but basically what he is saying, and then his, his, his adopted son, Caesar Augustus, is, you know, the, the Republic needs a savior. Trust me. I will, yep. I, I'm, I'm that brilliant. I'm that bright. I will save the Republic. I'm going to come back with a curveball for Kyle Mernon because I know what he's writing his PhD on. And we're going to tie it up with ancient Rome in our final segment. Once again, 
The course on the rise and fall of the Roman Republic is already available over at hillsdale.edu. As you can tell, Dr. Calvert, it's a marvelous lecture. Uh, Ken, uh, you are terrific. And we will be right back with the conclusion of what it meant to the founders and what they might not have provided against when we return to the Hillsdale Dialogue. On the new episode of The Larry Arn Show, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn sits down with theology professor Jordan Wales and computer science professor John Seifert for a roundtable discussion. What are, are there dangers? What are they? Because it's useful means, yes, it can't be stopped because it's the, the, the companies, the next level agents doing the technological advances. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's good. A hundred years ago, we switched, switched over from artisan craftsmen making our things to assembly lines. And that was more efficient, it was more productive, but it changed how humans were in the world instead of having the furniture in your house made by the craftsman down the road and having that person have that job. We now have a different relationship and a different arrangement. The, the kinds of dangers that we want to look at with artificial intelligence are, are similar to other sorts of industrial automation type dangers. Listen to this exclusive roundtable right now, only available on The Larry Arn Show. Find it on the Hillsdale College Podcast Network at podcast.hillsdale.edu or wherever you get your audio and subscribe to receive new episodes delivered right to your device. That's podcast.hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America. In ancient Rome, they had a weird office. It was called the Dictator. And the Dictator was... Well, I, Ken Calvert, before I go throw my curveball at Kurt at his head, high and hard on the inside, what's the Dictator? Right. So there is this unusual position that is um, elected. Uh, a Dictator is elected in Rome, but only, only when they are in desperation, when they are in danger and there's a great need for someone to come forward and save the day. They're given total power for six months, and uh, anything that they, they decide is law. Um, the most famous is a man named Cincinnatus, after whom our city of Cincinnati is named. Actually, George Washington is the, the Cincinnatus they're referring to. But anyway, um, Cincinnatus, uh, he, he, he saved uh, his fellow citizens, he uh, marched out, uh, did battle against the enemy, and saved his fellow citizens, came home, and completed his task in, in two weeks, and then surrendered his authority rather than hold on to it for six months. He surrendered authority rather than keep it for himself. And this is why George Washington is called the American Cincinnatus. He over and over again surrenders authority rather than keeping it for himself. So, Kyle, you're writing about the COVID period, and I don't want to get too far into what you haven't finished, but do you see any, any similarities between the office of dictator and the powers taken unto itself by the state governors in the course of the COVID emergency? Well, I'd, I'd be interested in what Dr. Kelver has to say about that. Um, but but for, for me, at least, I mean, in part, the American constitutional system uh, was designed so we could avoid that kind of thing, so that we could face emergencies, um, you know, with the American people uh, not giving up their rights and their liberties um, to the dictates of often unelected officials, right, in the government. 
Well, let's, so that, that's a big let's ask him. I mean, I, the, the framers studied it. I don't think they provided for the dictator office. They didn't envision it in any constitutional text I've ever seen. But it sure does seem to me we've lapsed into that office on on many occasions, particularly in war, Dr. Calvert, but most recently during COVID. Yeah, so this is a very, very interesting situation because in the state of Michigan, uh, we had a governor who decided that uh, she was going to basically dictate uh, to the entire citizenry and could do it outside of the uh, balance of power from the legislature. Now, what she was using was a set of laws that were created in case we had nuclear war. And so, in a way, the powers that she had were on the books, and there has to be a, 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 a very real change in our state, in the state of Michigan, and I suspect in many states across the country, because uh, uh, governors like ours who had a mind to use this um, in a nefarious way um, you know, that that's what happened. And, and it was kind of legal. Uh, it wasn't it, it had never well been put. challenged before. It had, it had never been done before. And what needs to happen is to, is to overturn those laws and put some safeguards in place. Because we, we don't like this absolute power in anyone's hands. Right. The dictator right. is not a feature. And the, and the framers knew about it and they did not include it. Right. Dr. Calvert, they gave no idea. That's a part of the Roman Constitution, the most maiorum. It's got nothing to do with us. Right, exactly. And uh, George Washington, above all, um, was one who who rejected the opportunity to be given dictatorial powers all through the revolution. And then he, of course, surrendered uh, the presidency after two terms. Um, there's no way the founders were going to allow for that kind of power in the hands of one man. And it, it really became uh, World War II and after uh, these kinds of state powers that were established with the fear of some sort of great conflagration, nuclear conflagration. Um, and now it's been used against us in um, something much less uh, threatening than a nuclear war. Well, I, I want everyone to go and watch this series so that they can begin to understand the Constitution of the United States better. But, Kyle, I will end this week's program with you. Having studied with Dr. Calvert, having studied Rome, and now having studied the current emergency, uh, are you more or less concerned that our constitutional protections are breaking down and not unlike sort of the end of the Roman Revolution? Well, I think um, if you listen to this course and you follow through to, to Dr. Calvert's last lecture, you have a lot more reason to hope because he makes the point that our, our founders studied the example of Rome. They, they saw some of the limitations of their constitutional structure, um, and they addressed many, many of those things in what they established with our government. So we need to find a way back to that uh, if, we, if we hope to, to get through some of the messes we've made. I think the way back to that is to keep replicating Hillsdale and by sending more and more graduates into, uh, into the new Rome, which is what I often call Washington, D.C., the new Rome for a lot of reasons. And you are quietly taking over the entire country, and that's a good thing. But if you are not there and you can just simply connect up with hillsdale.edu, it's absolutely free. Don't waste your time on the White Lotus season two. Go watch the uh, rise and fall of ancient Rome. Dr. Calvert, thank you. Kyle Mernon, thank you. We will be back next week, America, and we'll look ahead to the, the course on ancient Christianity, which I am going to be watching as it drops. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. 
For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.